amen, amen. Well, welcome to Coastal Community Church. My name is TJ. I'm one of the pastors here. We're so glad that you're with us here this weekend, and, and I'm pretty pumped about this weekend. Uh, can you guys help me welcome real quick before we dive into today, everybody that's watching online and everybody at our Lighthouse Point location, come on, let's show them, show them some love, Parkland. Man, we're so glad you guys are joining with us today. I am excited because, man, I, I, honestly, I just love being your pastor. I, I love being the pastor of this church. I, I love getting to serve together here to, to make a difference in people's lives. And um, you know, something about this time of year, every time around this time of every year, we take a couple of weeks to reset around a series we call Legacy. And uh, we talk about what could be and what should be for our church. And we cast some vision for the future of what God wants to do here. And if you've missed any of the last couple of weeks, uh, week one, we talked about what are some of the things that we believe that God could do. In fact, this weekend is a weekend where we actually take up our legacy offering. And uh, for those of you that are guests here today, don't, don't feel obligated to give it all, but this is for people that are here in our church. We've, we've been talking about our vision and you're gonna see some people today here, if you're a guest, be, uh, get, get a little refocused on the mission of God and the mission of our church. And you're gonna see people be irrationally generous uh, to see the kingdom of God move forward today. It's gonna be an awesome thing. And so I can't wait to, for us to give together towards our legacy offering at the end of service. But I think it's important whether you're in an organization or in a relationship or in a marriage, like there are moments where you need to reset and refocus because I don't know if you know this or not, but there is a silent assassin that is out there and, and it, it will wreak havoc, havoc in your marriage. It will wreak havoc in your business. It will wreak havoc in your parenting styles. It will wreak havoc in so many different aspects of your life. And it's this thing called mission drift. Peter Greer in his book, it's actually called Mission Drift, he says, he says this, when we lose our why, we actually lose our way. And, and, and I, was, I, I think that that's an important statement because when we forget why we're doing what we're doing, we'll stop doing what we're doing. Yeah. And I think it's always important for us as a church to get back to the why of why we do what we do here each and every week and um, this past week, I was doing some research. I'd, I'd, I'd heard a story about a month ago, and it got me doing some research about the Titanic. Now, if you don't know anything about the Titanic, Titanic was a ship that set out to sail a little over 100 years ago. It was called the Unsinkable Ship. And as I was reading some things about the Titanic, it was, it was this Dreamliner is what they called it. It was one of the first of the mega ships to ever come out. And... On the Titanic, because they called it the unsinkable ship, they never thought that they were gonna need the lifeboats that they had. So the company, uh, the Starliner company, uh, actually only put 20 lifeboats on the Titanic. And, and those lifeboats had the capacity to seat about 65 people on them. And now what's interesting is that as I was reading about the story of the Titanic, uh, there were 65 seats on every lifeboat, but when the Titanic went down, some of the lifeboats were not launched because officers on the ship thought there's no way that this ship is gonna sink. 
And so only a portion of the boats were actually dropped into the water. And of the boats that were actually put into the water, there were only 28 passengers on every boat. So imagine this, there's a ship that's going down. There are about 2,200 passengers on this ship. And on every lifeboat, there's, there's only 28 people on there. And yet there's all these people that are swimming in the water that are, are freezing in the temperatures. And, and you start to think about it and you go, well, what, what, if you know anything about the Titanic, it was the greatest uh, tragedy in maritime history. And then you think about lifeboats, which when you think about a lifeboat, a lifeboat is there to save and preserve life, right? That's what a lifeboat is for. It's to save your life. But yet only 28 people out of 65 were on the lifeboats. So what took place there? Like, like at what point did the goal of the lifeboat Move from being, I'm here to save lives to I'm here to preserve the 28 lives that are already on here. I would call this mission drift. Because at some point, the people that were in the boats that already had the safety of the boats that were, felt like, oh, we're going to make it while they saw everybody else out there swimming and crying out for their lives, they decided instead of rowing towards the danger, we're gonna row away from it and go to safety. I would call this mission drift. Like at some point, the people on those boats made a decision that these boats exist to preserve our lives and we're not gonna risk our lives to row back to save others. Mission drift. Now, mission drift for us is way more subtle than a mega ship sinking at 2 a.m., is it not? Like it, it, it happens a lot more subtly. It happens over time. In fact, I, I read about a mission statement of a very well-known university, and this was the mission statement of the university. To be plainly instructed and consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Now, does anybody know what the, the, the organization or the university that that was the mission statement of? Listen, it wasn't FAU. It wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't the you, like the you doesn't have that mission statement. Their mission statement is how do we create convicts? I'm just kidding. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wasn't the University of Florida, we teach kids how to drink. This was actually, somebody said it down front, it's actually the mission statement of Harvard University. In fact, the motto of Harvard for the students was truth for Christ and the church. Now, I don't mean to throw shade at Harvard, even though I'm a little bitter, I didn't get in. <laughs> but all of us can agree that they have had some mission drift from what they set out to do to where they currently are. Why? Because when we lose our why, 
we lose our way. And it doesn't just happen in universities, it can happen in every single one of our lives. We set out to make a difference and to change the world and eventually we drift into, I, I just am gonna live paycheck to paycheck or I'm just gonna live for security or, or I'm gonna compromise my values for fame or fortune instead of making a difference. Let, let me explain it in a, in a way that maybe you'll get it. Has anybody ever gone in their kitchen and you're like, I'm going into my kitchen to grab the pair of scissors that are in the junk drawer that I gotta dig through and find out where they are. And the moment you walk into the kitchen, you're like, what am I doing in here? Like, what am I supposed to remember? And, and because you don't remember, you just eat a sleeve of Oreos and you walk out and you're like, oh, that was good. <laughs> it's happened to me a few too many times. <laughs> It's mission drift. Like you, 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 you lose your why, you lose your way. And my hope for us as a church is that we would never lose our why, which would never cause us to lose our way. That is why our legacy series has always been a series where it's a time for us to go, hey, let's get back to mission. Let's have the aha moment. Let's refocus and redirect and remember why we're here and what God has called us to as a church and as a people. And we've say all along, legacy is about where my life lives on. It's about where your life lives on, where we're not just going and living for success, which is all about me, myself, and I, but I'm living a life of significance that is not just making a difference for me, but it's impacting all the people around me in a way that they will actually remember something about me. And so my question for us today is, what will you do that will actually outlive you? Like, how are you living in such a way that that people won't be showing up at your funeral and, hear, and saying the same thing I hear at every funeral. He was such a good person. If people are saying that about you at your funeral, it means you did nothing in life. Like you, law, you left no lasting impact. And I don't know about you, but I believe that God has called, I think God has entwined and ingrained in us a destiny and a purpose and a calling to not just to live for ourselves, but to live for something so much more than ourselves that it would make an impact on not only our lives, but all the lives that we come in contact with, that it would, it would permeate and infiltrate and make a difference around them because we were created to live with intentionality. We were created to live with purpose. We were created to live with calling. We are created intentionally to follow Jesus. And that word intentionally is such an important word. We're gonna to get to that. Today I want us to turn to the book of Matthew chapter nine. The, the book of Matthew is written by who? Okay, not a trick question, it's Matthew. <laughs> book of Matthew is written by Matthew. We're gonna be looking at a a passage in Matthew chapter nine, starting in verse nine, is actually, it's titled in your Bible, most likely, if you, if you ever open this book up. It's called The Calling of Matthew. It says this, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Now, if you don't know much about scripture, you gotta understand the context of what's happening. Jesus is a rabbi, Matthew is a tax collector. Now, tax collectors in the biblical days were some of the most despised and hated people on the planet because they had, they had given up their citizenship as Jewish people and said, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna come over here and we're gonna side with our captors, the Romans, 
And we're gonna tax our own people and we're gonna collect taxes. In fact, the Jewish people hated the tax collector so much that they, they wouldn't associate with them, they wouldn't talk to them. In fact, they were barred from going into the temple to worship. Like, so, so, so if they were of Jewish descent, they were taught all of their life to worship the Lord their God. But because of the decisions that they made, they were not actually allowed to go in a temple. They weren't allowed to learn anymore about God. So all that they faced in their life is rejection and dejection because of the decisions that they've made. And all of a sudden, a rabbi walks up and Jesus is a rabbi in his day. He's got followers with him and he goes to Matthew and he puts out an invitation of, hey, Matthew, why don't you follow me? And Matthew in that moment, number one, he would have been in shock that, that a rabbi was talking to him, but not only was he talking to him, he was inviting him to follow him because in Jewish culture, society had already cast them out and Jesus goes, hey, I've got an invitation for you to follow. It reminds us that what qualifies us to be a disciple is not our good deeds, but our good God. I'm so thankful it's not about how good I am, but how good our God is. And this wasn't like a Jedi mind trick, Jesus pulled like, Matthew, follow me. When Jesus says, follow me, this is the greatest invitation that Matthew has ever received in his entire life. And Jesus invites Matthew, and then he invites Matthew to invite others. I think that's what it means to be a disciple. Like Matthew gets on mission for Jesus before he's ever attended a Bible study, before he's ever gone through a next steps class, before he's ever gotten water baptized, which by the way, if you've never gotten water baptized, we're doing that today after church. You don't even have to be ready for it. We got clothes, we got water, we got, we got shirts. All we don't have is you. So check this out, verse 10. It says, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. And his disciples, and when the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I come to call the righteous. I don't come to call the righteous, but I come to call sinners. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, listen, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And what's interesting about this is that the Pharisees were just as sick as the sinners and the tax collectors. They just couldn't see it. See, see, they had a tendency to do what a lot of people in Christianity do is, is they have a tendency to, to take the word of God and, and kind of like make, make some things called binoculars where they're checking everybody else out and they're like, oh, that's Sylvia over there. She, oh, Sylvia, you got sin. I see it. I see you, Sinner. And they're really good at looking to point through scriptures to point out other people's sin instead of allowing scripture to speak to them and show them their sin. Right. A lot of us are really good at grabbing scriptures to justify our points, but are we good at grabbing scripture to justify our lives? Are we good at looking at scripture and letting it not just be read, but letting it read us? Like they never looked and said, God, would you not just let me see that in other people, but what do I need to see in me? 
Going back to the story in verse 13, though, Jesus says something really, really crazy. He says, but go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The word for mercy there is this, this word hased, and it means acts of loving kindness, grace, generosity, and hospitality. What Jesus is saying is he's saying, hey, what, what, I, what I desire more than sacrifices, I desire for you to be generous and hospitable and, 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 and gracious and, and kind. And, and see, the Pharisees, they were good at sacrifice because they were all about, how do I put it on the facade that I am holy? The only problem is, is you can't have holiness and not have love with it. The only way to be holy is to be loving as well. You can't just be the perfection of God without the grace of God in your life. Henry Nguyen describes hospitality and this idea of said, He says, hospitality is making space for people who don't make space for me. It's about opening up space at our tables. It's about opening up space in our hearts. It's about opening up space in our lives. It's about opening up space for other people. And then Jesus, in his wisdom, gives us this one-line mission statement. He says, for I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Like, aren't you glad that Jesus came and called sinners? Like, I am so glad that Jesus called sinners because I am one. Like, like I'm glad that he called broken and jacked up and messed up people. Not only did he call them, but Jesus called them to himself. Like Jesus loved people that thought that they were unlovable. Jesus taught, touched people that he thought, that they thought were untouchable. He reached out to people who thought that they would never be reached in their life. He met them right in the middle of their struggle. He lived, he loved sinners so much because that's the only kind of person there is, is a sinner. And if you don't think you have sin in your life, that's your sin. <laughs> now the religious leaders hated this about Jesus and so they went to take his life and they thought, man, here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna take his life when they sent him on the cross. What they didn't realize is they didn't take his life. He actually willingly laid it down in the most incredible act of hospitality the world has ever seen or experienced. He made space and places for people on the cross of Calvary that would have never had access to God. He goes, by my stripes, you're gonna experience healing. It's by my blood that you're gonna be set free. It's through me that you're gonna experience forgiveness. I'm gonna make space for every man, woman, and child on this earth. And Matthew sees all this and experiences this and he goes, man, I'm gonna give my entire life to telling others about this. He actually writes at the end of his book, Matthew chapter 28, it's called the Great Commission. It's the final commission of Jesus to his disciples before he ascends into heaven. This is what he says. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When he, they saw him, meaning Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, now get this picture. Here's 11 disciples. There's not 12 because Judas has hung himself, so there's 11. And they're dejected, and they're rejected, and they're discouraged, and they're a little beat up. Some questions. And they're making their way up this mountain, just kind of limping. And it says, some of them worshipped, but some of them doubted. I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that Matthew said that they doubted. It gives me some hope.
Because I have some doubts sometimes. I have some fears. Like, I'm a little overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't really know. Am I the only one? Okay, this section's with me. I'm going to talk over here because y'all are holy over here. It says, then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, for surely I am with you always until the very end of the age. Like, we've taken that, that great commission and we've whittled it down to our mission statement of we want to make it hard for people to go to hell, but make it easy for them to go to church so they can experience, so they can know, and so they can follow Jesus. That's the great commission. That's what we're all about as a church. But we're, we're not just about that. We're also about the great commandment as a church. Like, I think we're a great commission and a great commandment church. If you don't know what the great commandment is, it's actually found in Matthew chapter 22, in verse 36, where this teacher comes to Jesus and he says, hey, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus says this, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Coastal, we want to be a great commission and a great commandment church and people. We want those two things to, to come together and intersect because we believe that when those two things come together and intersect, there is power to transform lives. See, we're the kind of church that we don't row away from people, we row towards people. Like we're not just going to go and sit in the safety and confines of I'm already here and I've already got my salvation. We're looking around, we're going, hey, it's great that we're in here, but what about all those people out there like I'm not going to row away from them I'm going to stick my oar in the water and I'm going to start to row towards those that are hurting and those that are broken and those that are destitute those that are broke busted and disgusted I'm going to row towards every one of them I'm not rowing away because I'm on mission like those are the people that are headed for an eternity apart from Christ and I love that Jesus goes, man, I've got a, a commission, a co-mission. Like it's not a suggestion. It's not when you get some time. It's not if you feel like it. It's like, no, 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 this is your mission. I love that he says co-mission. Because he says, when you go, you're not going by yourself. I'm going with you. So he says, I'll be with you to the end of the age. See, when we start to drift, here's what we do. We pick up our oar and we start to row towards the people that need saving. This is what our legacy offering is all about. See, we're already saved. We're already here. We're not giving to today. We're giving for the people that aren't here yet. We're giving for the communities we haven't launched a location at yet. We're giving for the kids that aren't yet in that kid's space. We're giving to the teenagers that aren't yet at student ministry. See, we're good right where we are, but it's not about us. It's not about what happens in here. It's about what's not happening in here yet. So how do we intentionally live that out? Three things really quick for you today. We're going to be a church that it's going to pick up our oar and row towards people. Number one, I will give intentionally what I have. Martha, he's talking about money again. Yes, I am. Because <laughs> we live in Parkland. 
Lighthouse Point, don't think you're getting out of this too because your, your zip code costs about a million bucks a house too. <laughs> like, God talks to a lot, a lot about us. Paul actually talks to us in 2 Corinthians. He says, you'll be made rich in every way. Some of you are like, yep, I am. But you don't know why. Here's why. So you can be generous on every occasion. So that through your life, generosity will result in thanksgiving to, not you, but to God. See, here's the deal. God wants to bless you and has blessed you so that you can be a blessing. So that you can actually make a difference. So when you bless others, they won't look at you. They'll look and go, man, how good is God? How transformational is our Savior? But you've thought, because we live in a me-centered day and age, God's given me all this for me. That's a very, that's a, I'm going to pick up my oar and I'm going to row away because I got my boat mentality. I'm going to challenge you, church. I'm going to challenge you hard today because we need to be challenged. I was talking to a, to a guy recently, he's probably the most successful person I know. He runs a $4 billion company. 20,000 employees. Most people would deem that successful. Can we all agree that's pretty successful? <laughs> He's probably making some change. And I said, hey, like, all that you've accomplished, what, what, how? I think it's great. How? How do you do that? He's a believer, loves God. He said, TJ, a long time ago, I heard a pastor preach about giving and generosity. He said, there's a big difference. And when he said giving, he really meant tithing. He said, in that day, I became a percentage giver. I said, explain that to me. He goes, that pastor taught me what I'd never heard before, that Everything that God has blessed me with is 100% God's. I didn't do any of this. God did this. It's all his. He asked me to return the first 10%. I don't give that. I return it. I was like, okay. See, a lot of us, when we give our tithe, we think I'm giving to God. No, no, no. You're returning to God. He said, I learned that day that generosity starts above that. And we decided as a family, while, when we weren't at this stage, that we were going to be a generous family. And so we just started every year, we're going to up our percentage 1% or a half a percent. He said, we started at 1, today we're at 15. I'm like, you give away what? <laughs> Come on, you, some of y'all are like thinking to yourself, you give away what? He's like, what I give away? Almost every year, my bonus is five or ten times that now. Like, I learned that I can't outgive God. And here's what I would challenge some of you. Become a percentage giver. Decide ahead of time 
how God would want you to give. This is what Shayla and I do. We've done this for years. And I'm not going to, Shayla and I, every year, give 30 to 50% of our income away. How do you do that? Well, we're out of debt. We're, we, we, did, we made some smart decisions that maybe some of you haven't made. Not hating, just being honest. But we decided a long time ago that we couldn't outgive God either. And so we just started deciding, like, we're going to give this amount away. In fact, we're getting ready for this legacy offering. And uh, I'd put my name on a list for something I'd been waiting for for multiple years. I got a call like two weeks ago, right before my birthday. And they're like, hey, you can come get it. Here's the price. I was so excited. I called up Shayla. I was like, oh my gosh, I can finally get it. And I was like, do we actually have that money? Because I don't know. Shayla runs all of our finances. And, uh, and she's like, we can, but we won't be able to do what we told God we would do. I don't know if you've ever been disappointed in God in a moment. <laughs> And then she said something that I, I, I really dislike about her. She said, it's up to you. <laughs> Pressure. <laughs> and for a moment, I was super disappointed. I was like, gosh, God. And then I thought about, would I rather have that thing or all the things that God has done in my life? I wouldn't take that thing for anything based on what God has done in my life. I would take the transformation of my life over a stupid object any day of the week. And some of us, it's just a perspective change. Number two, I will intentionally serve others and trip over an oar. Because here's what I know. When you serve others, it's an incredible testimony to the world around you. Nothing speaks to the world like, I'm going to give up myself for you. Jesus said it like this. He lived it out so well. Matthew 20. He said, whoever wants to be great among you, this is great in God's economy, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many. Here's what I've noticed about people in life. People left to themselves will make life all about themselves. But Jesus reminds us in God's economy and in, in living a significant life, it's not about you getting served. It's not about me, myself, and I, but it's about the difference that you can make in other people. It's about the impact you can make. That's where significance is actually found. It's like, like the, this past weekend, we had a freedom conference. I don't know if, if any of you guys went to freedom conference. If you haven't ever been to Freedom Conference, you have to go through our Freedom Curriculum in our Connect Group semester, which I would encourage every single one of you to do. It's life-changing. It'll change your life like never before. Anyways, I'm gonna get back. To, but there's all these people that are serving here. They're walking in this morning. I'm high-fiving them. I'm like, dude, you've been here all weekend. They're like, man, I'm so tired, but I'm so pumped. You're like, that doesn't make any sense. You served and you're tired, but there's like, you're, you're invigorated. Why? Because in God's economy, it works completely opposite of what you think. You're like, oh, I'm slaving all week. I can't go and serve at church. Like that just requires, a no, no. You don't understand that it would actually invigorate you to go into your week. And then you wouldn't be that bum at your desk. You'd actually have some life there. You bring some joy to that office. Bring some peace to that office because you actually, instead of just waiting for somebody else to fill you up, God actually filled you up because you gave out. Because here's what I know about God. When you empty yourself, he fills you back up. 
And some of us have never learned to empty ourselves. And it's just kind of stale. Like, I know some of you are thinking, well, you, you're just talking about serving because you need people to serve. Listen, we have so many people serving at our church, we actually don't need any more people serving. I talked about this because you need serving. You have no idea what it will do in your life. In fact, I would encourage some of you to go to the next steps. In fact, I, I, let me just say this. There's some of you, and I wanna, I'm trying to be sensitive here. It's not my strong suit. Listen, there's some of you, you're fresh here, and, uh, and you came from a place where you're broken and you're hurting, and you're, you're, you're trying to figure some things out. Sit and allow God to restore your soul. But pick a date on the calendar where you go, I'm going to get up and I'm going to start going again. Because there's way too many people I look around and five years ago you said, man, I'm hurting and I'm broken and I just need to rest. And you've been resting for five years. You're like, I just am so hurt by the church. Listen, the church never hurt you. People hurt you. People hurt people. And maybe the thing that hurts you is actually the thing that's going to heal you. In fact, James tells us, how do we heal? Confess your sins one to, an, is one to another. Is that people? So the thing that I actually need in my life is the thing that I'm staying away from? Just, just maybe. Maybe the Bible's right. Number three, I got to go because I got a minute and eight. Number three, I will intentionally share Christ. We're going to make it about people. And listen, here's what I know. Most people make a decision to follow Jesus and it's a very personal and private decision, but your faith was never meant to be lived privately. It's only meant to be publicly. Second Corinthians says this, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. I don't know if you know this or not, but you are God's official representation of him on this earth. Like he wants to actually utilize your life to be a witness to the world around us. We sing a song and all these things that I've witnessed it. You know how they're gonna witness it? They're gonna witness it. So why Jesus says, go out into the country and urge anyone you can find to come in so that my house will be full. It's the goal. It's to fill God's house. Not just this house, but every church. So that every man, woman, and child can know. I started off with a story about the Titanic. There was a, there was a passenger on the Titanic. His name was uh, John Harper. John Harper was actually a Scottish pastor and uh, he had been invited to go and speak at Dwight L. Moody's church in Chicago. And uh, so he boarded the Titanic. He had his daughter who was six years old. He was a widower, uh, which is why the, the picture of his daughter that's up there, that's him and his daughter and their niece. And they got on the Titanic to set sail to New York so they could eventually make their way to Chicago. And, and on that fateful evening that the Titanic struck the iceberg, John Harper was on the ship and John grabbed his six-year-old daughter and his niece and got them to a lifeboat and made sure that they were on that lifeboat. And he said, I will see you someday. And then he started running the decks of the ship. 
screaming out, women and children and unsaved people to the lifeboats. Women and children and unsaved people to the lifeboats. And he started going to every person he could and, and asking them, do, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you made a decision to follow Jesus? And he's witnessing, he's telling them, repent of your sins and, and confess that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. And, and as the ship starts to sink, he realizes that his fate is, is not very good. And so with his life vest, he jumps into the icy water. And as soon as he gets in the water, he starts swimming to other passengers in the water. Do you know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior? Yes, yes, I do. Okay, good, good, good. He swims to another passenger over on the other side. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? And they're like, no, I don't. And he goes, would you like to? And they're like, no, I don't. And he actually takes off his life vest and goes, you need this more than I do. And he swims off to another person. He goes, do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? They say, no, I don't. He goes, would you like? And he, he leads them to the Lord and he starts to swim off to the next person and his body succumbs to hypothermia. Four years later, when they had a meeting of the survivors of the Titanic, the guy who was given John Harper's life vest said, I watch him swim from person to person. And give his life for their lives. And he said, that day I made a decision that I was going to follow Jesus. He said, I'm the last convert of John Harper. When John Harper got on that ship, there were three classes of passengers. First class, second class, and third class. But when that ship went down, there are only two classes of passengers. Those that are saved and those that are known to be lost. See, John Harper understood that there is more to this life than this life. Because there are only two classes of people that are out there. Those that are saved and those that are known to be lost. And church, we're a church. When the lost are out there, we're on a search and rescue mission. We want to make sure every man, woman, and child has the opportunity to know, do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? We're not going to row away from them, church. We're going to row towards them. We're going to give everything we have, 
I will bankrupt this place to reach more people for Jesus. You're like, that's not good stewardship. Neither is living your life selfishly. Here's what I know is maybe you're out there and you're listening to this. And you don't have the hope of heaven. You don't have the confidence that if you are swimming in the Atlantic, freezing your butt off, and somebody asked, do you know where you're, when you die today, where you're going to go? Such an old school thing. You don't have the confidence to go, I'm going to heaven. It can happen. It begins with a simple yet significant prayer of surrender to the God that loved you so much that while you were in the middle of your mess, he said, I'm going to row towards them. And he rode towards us by giving us his son, Jesus Christ, so that none of us would perish. He said, man, I'll load up my boat with every single person that I can. And maybe today, for the first time or the first time in a long time, you need a life preserver. But more than a life preserver, you need a relationship with your creator. A God that loves you and cares about you and sees you and wants to meet you right where you are with every head bowed and every eye closed. If that's you, I'd love to pray a simple yet significant prayer with you. Just slip your hand up at the count of three. I'd love to pray with you. One, two, three. Go ahead and slip it up. Slip it up. Slip it up. No shame. No shame. Yes, I see you. Thank you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I see you back there. Who else? Back there. Eight, nine. Who else? Up in the balcony. I see you up there. Thank you. 10, 11, 12. People all over the place. If you just pray this prayer in your heart as I prayed out loud, say, God, thank you for meeting me right in the middle of my mess. For giving me the ultimate gift, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. I ask you to forgive me of my past. Change my present and secure my future. Lord, come into my heart. Come into my life. Take over. I surrender my will and I surrender my way. I choose to follow you all the days of my life here today. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Come on, let's give it up for all those people that just made that decision. It's the greatest decision you could ever make. Real quickly, uh, Shayla and I, we, this weekend is our legacy offering weekend. And uh, I know that we've asked you, we didn't ask you guys to give, we've asked you to pray and ask God how we'd want you to be a part of that. And this is our opportunity as a church to be rationally generous for those that aren't yet here. And so here's what I wanna do is I wanna pray over, as you walked in today, you received one of these offerings. If you weren't prepared, you can, here's what I wanna do. I want us to pray over this today because I believe that God wants to do immeasurably more in our lives so that we can be a blessing to the world around us. And here's what I know is that when we put seed in the ground, God always creates a harvest. And so if you wouldn't mind grabbing those envelopes, hold them in your hand like this. I want to pray over, I want to pray over this with you. I'm actually going to ask my wife to pray because she's a much better prayer than I am. And so uh, if you just hold that in your hand, we're going to pray over that today as we believe God for greater things. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And Lord, I thank you for each and every person 
that has prayed and has asked you how to be part of this. And Lord, yes. as we invest this seed financially, God, as we put it in the ground, we ask that you would return it back to people's lives. God, that you would bless them, that you would strengthen them, that they would see the harvest of blessing in their life. And Lord, we thank you that your word says that you would do immeasurably yes. more than anything that we could ask think or imagine according to your power at work within us and it is to you God that we give all the glory and all the praise through generations forever and ever amen, amen.